Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow, so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you, or take anything away from it, so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal of Peor. But you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are all alive today. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. When they hear about all these statues, they will say, this great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us and whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law that I set before you today? Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and grandchildren. That day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. The Lord said to me, Assemble the people before me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and may instruct their children. You came near and stood at the base of the mountain, a mountain blazing with fire into the heavens and enveloped in a totally black cloud. Then the Lord spoke to you from the fire. You kept hearing the sound of the words, but didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land you are about to cross into and possess. Diligently watch yourselves, because you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of the fire at Horeb, so you don't act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of any figure, a male or female form, or in the form of any animal on the earth, any winged creature that flies in the sky, any creature that crawls on the ground, or any fish in the waters under the earth. When you look to the heavens and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the stars in the sky, do not be led astray to bow in worship to them and serve them. The Lord your God has provided them for all people everywhere under heaven. But the Lord selected you and brought you out of Egypt's iron furnace to be a people for his inheritance as you are today. The Lord was angry with me on your account. He swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. I won't be crossing the Jordan because I am going to die in this land. But you are about to cross over and take possession of this good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you have children and grandchildren and have been in the land a long time, and if you act corruptly, make an idol in the form of anything and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, angering him, 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that you will quickly perish from the land you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. You will not live long there, but you will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be reduced to a few survivors among the nations where the Lord your God will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see, hear, eat, or smell. But from there, you will search for the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and in all your soul. When you are in distress, and all these things have happened to you, in the future, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by oath. Because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. Indeed, ask about the earlier days that preceded you, from the day God created mankind on the earth, and from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything like this great event ever happened, or has anything like it been heard of? Has a people heard God's voice speaking from the fire as you have and lived? Or has a God attempted to go and take a nation? as his own out of another's nation, by trials, signs, and wonders, and war, by a strong arm and an outstretched arm, by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. He has let you hear his voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you his great fire on earth, and you heard his words from the fire. Because he loved your fathers, he chose your des their descendants after them and brought you out of Egypt by his presence and great power to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you in and give you their land as an inheritance as is now taking place. Today, recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his statutes and commands, which I am giving you today, so that you and your children after you may prosper, and so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you. Um, special welcome to um, Kip's family and, and friends who are visiting today. And um, I encourage you, if you've, if you've got the passage there, that would be really helpful so that you can um, follow along as we, as we get through this, uh, this big passage. Um, so in, in chapters 1 to 4 of Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing Israel. It's, it's part sermon and part history lesson. And, and next, in chapter 5, he summons all Israel and he gives them the law, the, the big guys, the Ten Commandments, the ones you all know, and, and some of the details. Um, and th that's next week's sermon. But here, we're on the cusp of getting the law. Uh, and it seems straightforward. Verses 1 and 2. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I'm teaching you to follow, so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. 
you must not add anything to what I command you or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. And that, that seems like a, a sufficient introduction to me. Listen to the laws, follow them, and you'll live. Don't change it, just keep it. Okay, tick, on to chapter 5, show me the laws. But, but that's not what happens. Um, Dimity would know, there's, there's 40 more verses. Thanks for reading for us. Um, I've, I've got two reasons why I think two verses is not sufficient. The first is that Moses knows his audience. Okay, the Israelites have, have a history of distrust and disobedience and worshipping idols. And so he's not explaining how to obey God, but why they should listen to God and obey him. The second reason uh, is that this isn't just the law, it's a covenant. The covenant that God, the same covenant that God made with them 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai. Uh, if, if you're not sure what a covenant is, think of marriage. That's, that's the prime example of a covenant that we still see. Uh, it's like a partnership. Uh, more than that, a covenant is a promise made within a relationship. And so it matters who the covenant is with. It matters to Israel who God is that they are making promises to. Now, if you, if you manage a cricket team and you're signing a new player, you, you want to check the fine print, make sure you pay them fairly, make sure they come to training in the games. The rules matter. But how much more important is it to know the player you are signing? If, if you need a batsman, you don't want to end up with Glenn McGrath. Uh, maybe you do. He's, I love him. He's great. But a, a covenant is not just about rules. It's about the person who's making the commitment. And how much more is this the case in a marriage? Imagine you're, you're about to get married and, and you want to be really prepared. You get your notice of intended marriage form. You have to go onto the website. And you organise the ceremony, the marriage certificate, the ring. You've got somewhere to live. Good thinking. You are prepared. But, but that is useless if you don't know who you are marrying. In the Bible, the covenant relationship between God and Israel is, is often described as a marriage it does need rules, but, but underneath is a foundation of love and faithfulness. And so Israel, Israel needs to know who God is and what he's done. There's this repeated pattern. Listen to God and obey. Remember what God has done and obey. See who God is and obey. The problem is Israel do not obey. We see their unfaithfulness to God and his covenant over and over um, but that contrasts their disobedience shows the faithfulness of God even more clearly, that he loves his people and keeps his promises, even to those who turn from him. We need to be careful as we read because Moses is, is not speaking directly to us. Wow, very insightful. Um, and, and the covenant is not made directly with us, but the character of God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And our hearts, our problem is the same as that of the Israelites, of idolatry that, that separates us from God. And so I want us today to trust in the faithful obedience of God who loves and gives life. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word this morning, show us who you are, show us what you have accomplished, 
so that we would turn back to you and be reconciled to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in, in case you weren't here last week, let's do a light speed recap. So here's, here's my summary of Mike's summary, of Moses' summary of what's been happening. Uh, Exodus 3, God appears to Moses and says, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I've come to rescue them, bring them into the good and spacious land that I promised their ancestor Abraham. And then he does it. He saves them, dramatic and spectacular fashion. And he appears to Moses again and makes a covenant with Israel. You have, he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And he gives them the law to keep and leads them through the desert for 11 days to the edge of the promised land. But when they get there, Israel doubt and disobey. That they see a big fortified city and, and they don't trust God. They say in Numbers 14, if only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? And, and, and God says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed? As surely as I live, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. God gives them what they ask for and they wander for 40 more years before getting, well, here's to Deuteronomy, about to enter the promised land, take two. And so, okay, there's our light speed recap. Now chapter four, verse one. It is a call to obedience, but obedience is not the ultimate goal. Obedience is a sign of Israel's faithfulness that allow them to live as God's people. Faithful obedience gives life. Verse 4. You, you who have remained faithful to the Lord your God are all alive today. The people who were destroyed at Baal Peor were the opposite of faithful. In Numbers 25, men indulged in sexual immorality with women who were not Israelites and made sacrifices to their gods. It says they, they yoked themselves, they joined themselves to this false god, the, the Baal of Peor. And they, they had belonged to God, chosen, rescued, blessed by God. They were his treasured possession and they turned from God and joined themselves to another god in worship. They turned from God and, and broke his covenant. They were no longer God's people. And that's, that's sort of option one that Moses gives us here. Unfaithfulness, idolatry, which leads to death. Option two, which he calls them to, he wants them to have, is faithfulness, which brings life and blessing. Option one, option two, there's no, option three, there's no middle of the road obedience. And that's because obedience is a symptom of the heart. It's the heart which is either faithful or unfaithful. But faithful obedience brings blessing because God is righteous and wise. And so his law that he gives them is righteous and wise. It's a gift for Israel. It helps them to flourish and, and the other nations will see that. But the source of this blessing is really God's presence. Verse 7. What great nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? God gives life to those who are faithfully obedient. 
the next paragraph from verse 9 is a, is a warning for Israel not to obey, but to remember and watch. Remember how God revealed himself. Remember what God promised. And watch yourselves that you do not forget and turn away like you've done before. Do you notice who Moses says that God appears to? Who he makes promises to? Verse 12, the Lord spoke to you. Verse 13, he declared his covenant to you. He's talking to Israel. But does that seem strange? These events at Mount Sinai, also known as Horeb, we see here, that was 40 years before Deuteronomy. And so, so half the people listening to Moses weren't there at all. But Moses doesn't say God appeared to your parents or your ancestors or even you know, the few of you who were, who were still alive. No, God, God's revelation and his promises are for all of Israel. Forty years before, God's people disobeyed and the consequence for their idolatry and unfaithfulness was death. But God is faithful to his people and his promises. Over and over, Moses calls him the Lord your God. What we translate as the Lord in in, in capital letters uh, is the name that God gives to Moses in Exodus 3. God tells Moses to say to the Israelites, Yahweh, or I am, has sent you. He says, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. He's not just God or even the God of their ancestors, but he's Israel's God. He's revealed who he is. His love and faithfulness endures. The next paragraph from from verse 15 is a similar reminder to Israel. Watch yourselves. Don't turn away from the God who chooses, who loves, who rescues, who abundantly provides. The Israelites were so quick to forget this and make idols like the golden calf and say, here's the God who saved us. Now, the, world, the world is full of beauty and goodness to enjoy, but, but don't be fooled. Those things are not God. The things of this world do not love us, choose us, save us, rescue us, cherish us. I wonder where you and I are tempted to put our trust in things that don't satisfy. I wonder what you serve and love and run after. Only the Lord your God, the one true God, can do these things and is worthy of our worship. And do you see what God calls Israel in verse 20? A people for his inheritance. We see this idea, inheritance and possession, comes up again and again. The land is Israel's inheritance. It's their promised possession, which they long for and cherish. But Israel is God's inheritance. God's people are his treasured possession. God is declaring his love for Israel and how he cherishes them, wants to be with them. And and this is the driving force behind everything, behind the covenant, the call to obedience, It's why he rescues and makes himself known so that he can bless Israel, be with them. Israel is his people and he is their God. I want to share a quick story from when I was young, probably in in preschool. We went on a family trip to Janolan Caves. Here it is. Uh, And we were on a tour, I think. 
uh, walking through the caves, going up some steps there, uh, looking over uh, an underground pool. Or, um, and I was having a great time, but, but there were some slow people in front of me. Oh, no. And I, I had to get past. I had to. Um, and so I, I went... I was on the path, and I went under the railing. I know, outside, and I think I, I tried to walk around. But it was, it was dark and damp and slippery, just like a cave. Um, who knew? And, and I slipped. I began to slide down towards the dark and the icy lake and the stalag... What are they? Stalag... Mites, yes. Good job, good job. Um, checking you're listening. So I was sliding down, and my dad reached out and grabbed me by the foot and pulled me back to safety. Dad probably saved my life that day because of his great love. By his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, <laughs> he saved me. Was he, was he angry? <laughs> probably. I'd done something so incredibly foolish and dangerous. Did he tell me to stay close to him and follow his instructions and stay on the path so that I would be safe? I'd say so. He saved me, stayed with me, and gave me instructions out of his love and wisdom. I hope this helps you see how how God's desire for obedience and faithfulness and even God's anger and judgment are all born from his wisdom and most of all, his love. If you don't understand that, that link, then it's hard to understand verse 24. It's a tough one. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. I love the way that, that Tim Keller described this. And you might have heard on Friday, he um, died and is now with Jesus. Um, but he, he describes jealousy as love aroused and in pain. Love aroused and in pain. God is, is not a jealous child who wants another kid's toy or a man jealous of someone else's life or their house or their wife. Instead, think of a parent whose child is struggling with addiction and, and, and their life is, is being ruined. Think of a parent... Oh, sorry, uh, think, of, think of a wife whose husband has an affair. She's rightfully jealous. She's angry and in pain. Someone they love is making a terrible and destructive decision. The love that was promised to her is being given to someone else and the consequences for that relationship are damaging and devastating and heartbreaking. And those are two examples. How much more is God our creator, infinitely good and wise and worthy and loving? How much more is he rightfully jealous when the Israelites, when all people, when we turn away from him to run after things which do not last and do not satisfy and do not love and do not save. And so that's why God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. 
his holiness and his love flow out into his rightful jealousy and judgment. Because Israel is unfaithful. Israel is unfaithful. Now Moses has already shown the Israelites God's right and necessary judgment. It happened in the desert. It happened at Baal Peor. And and what we have from verse 25 here is not just another warning. It's also a prophecy. Later in the Old Testament, this, this happens. God knows that Israel will be unfaithful and turn away again. He, he doesn't want that. He pleads with them to be faithful, but he knows the judgment that must follow when they are unfaithful. Israel have broken God's covenant, and so they'll lose their inheritance and their land. They'll be scattered among the nations, reduced to a few survivors, worshipping useless gods. It, it seems bleak, and it, and it reminded me of this scene from Star Wars, uh, Attack of the Clones. The, the quality, the CGI is, is quite bleak, um, but it, that, that, that's not what reminded me. It's, it's because we have this small group of survivors in a foreign land, surrounded by enemies and in distress. But there's hope. Next, there you go. A promise. Something's coming. A promise of future salvation. Looks like a little a blurry blob, but it's, it's Mace Windu, the Jedi Master, with his purple lightsaber. Royal purple. Ooh. Um, it's, a sign, it's a sign that something better is to come. And, and that's salvation. An army of, of Jedi knights come to rescue them. Um, let's, let's go back to our passage. Verse 29. Things are bleak. But from there you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, in the future you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them by oath. Because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. In one sense, this promise is is not surprising. We've heard over and over of God's faithfulness to his promises. His love for his people, his forgiveness, his power to save, and his presence. He's a compassionate God. But what is surprising is is the end of verse 30. "You You will return to the Lord your God and obey him. What about this problem of Israel's hearts? How can they be truly obedient? How can they keep the covenant? How can they remain as God's people? The answer is, was, was not the army of Jedi. Uh, the, the answer is the only one who is faithful to God, who shows true obedience, the only one who can fulfill the covenant promises. To see our answer, we need to, to step out of Deuteronomy and into a galaxy far, far away. No, no, we're not, we're not Star Wars. We're going to 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. In Jesus, the Son of God, we see perfect love and perfect obedience of God's law. We see the covenant fulfilled. And Jesus became obedient, obedient even to death on a cross, suffering for our sins, taking our punishment that he might bring us 
from death to life, that he might bring us to God. And that is how God keeps his promises. That is how God loves his people. God gives life through the faithful obedience of Jesus. It's tempting to finish there, but I want to look at the last part of Moses' sermon. From verse 32, the earlier days. God's voice speaks from a fire. There's signs, wonders, voices from heaven. A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It's amazing. But what is the reason for all this? Verse 37, because he loved. God loves his people. Not because of Israel's obedience, not because of our obedience, but because of his grace. He wants them to know him. He wants us to know him. Know that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. He wants us to live. And because God wants us to know him and live, he came in faithful obedience to die for us. So, is Deuteronomy 4 about obedience? Yes and no. Of course, God cares about obedience and disobedience is the problem. God is wise and worthy. Living for him is good for us. And and our disobedience, our unfaithful hearts, they cause pain and hurt. They separate us from God make us deserving of death. But Deuteronomy 4 also shows us that God loves you too much to give up on you and turn away. He will be faithful. He will suffer the death you deserve to give you life. In Jesus, he shows the truly faithful obedience that reconciles us to God and brings us from death to life. So seek him with all your heart. Trust in the faithful obedience of God the Son who died for you and you will have life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are our God who loves and rescues and satisfies, who keeps your promises and is faithful. Help us to see our disobedience and our need for you. Thank you for the perfect obedience of Christ who has made a way to you by his blood on the cross. By your spirit, give us new hearts that truly love and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.